Thank you for joining us today as we walk shoulder to shoulder, growing in love of the Lord and each other. Good morning, friends. I'm Pam Marvin. And I'm Megan Silas. But when you're listening, it may not be morning. So good day to you. <laughs> <laughs> or middle of the night if you're, right. a, if you're a night owl. Or maybe you're out for a jog right now. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? It could be any of those things. Well, Megan and I are continuing our series on Reflections on the Joyful Mysteries. Right. And uh, when we originally started this series, it was meant to be all encompassed to come out within the month of May. And we're recording this on June 2nd. (laughs) We didn't quite get it all in during May, but I have a feeling a majority of people listening probably aren't necessarily listening right when it comes out anyway. So it's always a good time for the rosary, right? Always a good time. The weapon. As a matter of fact, Megan, in the last couple of years, uh, I actually did get a new rosary. That is like paracord. Oh, yeah. And has the, the gunmetal mm-hmm. beads. Nice. With, it's a memento mori. So it's uh-huh. got skulls for the Our Father yeah. and stuff like that. And I do. I consider it my weapon. Nice. Good. Yeah. So today we're uh, continuing in the series that we started on the Joyful Mysteries. And we're up to the fourth mystery, which is the presentation in the temple. So just as we have uh, begun the last three, we'll start this one rooted in scripture in the book of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, which um, is so much the, I would say, if you're going to have the Gospel of Mary, it's the Gospel of Luke, because it seems to be the one that uh, has the most insight into Mary's life and heart and, and everything. So without further ado, let's read from Luke about the presentation in the temple. And you can find this in Luke chapter two, starting with verse 22. When the days were completed for their purification... According to the law of Moses, they took him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictate in the law of the Lord. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Messiah of the Lord. He came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, he took him in his arms and blessed God saying, Now, master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people, Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be contradicted. And you yourself, a sword will pierce so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after her marriage, and then as a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day with fasting and prayer. And coming forward at that very time, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. The gospel of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Amen. 
It's so beautiful. There's so much there. There's we a lot talk. there. Where do you want to start a with that one, there. Okay, let's, well, let's start at the beginning. Okay. Um, so it talks about when the days were completed for their purification, according to the law of Moses. So, and then it goes on and it talks about how um, they went to give the sacrifice because um, it's written in the law that, you know, every male that opens the womb i.e. firstborn son, uh, should be consecrated to the Lord. So I, the thing I think that we just really start off with here is the evidence of Joseph and Mary's obedience to the law of the Lord. Exactly. So that is, that is sometimes what we see as the fruit of this mystery is obedience to God's mm-hmm. law. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's really an important thing to remember is Yeah, these two were in extraordinary circumstances, right? You know, Mary has given birth to the Son of God through miraculous means. But just because you find yourself in extraordinary circumstances doesn't mean you're an exception to the rules. And I think sometimes we get into that mindset, right, where we say to ourselves, well, you know, this may be the teaching of the church, but my circumstances are different. You, you don't understand my circumstances. They're unique. They're extraordinary, whatever. And so I shouldn't have to be subject to that. Mm-hmm. Right? No. No. There's no more extraordinary circumstances. Exactly. Than what Mary and Joseph were experiencing. But they knew that they are subject to the law of Amen. the Lord. Yeah. You know, looking around at our day and times, this um, could apply to that elitist mentality. Sometimes we say, yeah, yes for thee, but not for me kind mm-hmm. of thing. Oh, true. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you can really see that that is a fallacy, that elitism, like I am better kind mm-hmm. of deal. That's very pharisaical in my opinion. And this one kind of brings it all back down to say no. You know, if right. Jesus and Mary and Joseph were not beyond the law, <laughs> no one is, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And... This idea that when gifts are given, we should go and give thanks to the Lord is another, I think, place that we can, Mm. you know, kind of think about. Like, so let's just speak of the truth of what the Old Testament understood any child, be it the son of God or, you know, the simplest family peasant child that has no repute whatsoever. Any child is a blessing from God and worthy of giving gratitude to God for that gift. And you know what? Our gratitude should be ordered towards giving sacrifice to the Lord. Mm. First and foremost, a sacrifice of praise. And so often we forget. To do that, that. that is kind of an oxymoron, though, Megan, a little bit. A right. sacrifice of praise? Can you break that down for just, I mean, I don't want to spend much time on it, but that's an interesting phrase, and I want to hear more about sacrifice of praise. Well, I think that when we think about praise, we're like, yeah, well, the praise, you know, of course that's not a sacrifice. That's just nice and easy to do or whatever. Okay. How come so many people don't do it? Mm. And the reality is, is that s- praise requires some things. First, praise requires that you have a mindfulness that a blessing has been given. That you take the time to acknowledge, you know what? I didn't earn this. I don't deserve this. This, you know, this is a gift 
And so that mindfulness, that willingness to say, it's not something that I've done, but something that God has done for me mm-hmm. is a sacrifice of yourself in a way in saying, I'm going to get my pride out of the way and thinking that I'm the source of everything and sacrifice that to the Lord and say, no, I acknowledge you are the source of all that is good. So, and then to actually make the act of praise. So you've acknowledged a gift has been given. Then an action follows. It's not just like, oh yeah, that was a gift. Walk away. No, an action follows and any action requires time and Mm -hmm. energy. Mm -hmm. And if you, you know, make a sacrifice that involves, you know, in, in this situation, you know, they had to bring, you know, a two turtle doves or a pigeon, you know, they had to put some skin in the game, right? As far as I'm going to make some show of offering, you know, knowing that, you know, obviously it's not meant to, be at the same level it's not something that says well you've given to me now i need to give the equal thing to you because Mm -hmm. it's somehow this tit for tat no it's it's saying because you have been so generous with me i want to show my generosity to you lord and i'm going to take something that i have that i can then give to you beautiful yeah and then the reality is in this situation the reason that you go and you give sacrifice to for the firstborn son is that basically the law says that the firstborn son is God's belongs to God. And you kind of go and ransom him back. (laughs) If you're going to take him back, you know, you're going to give this offering Mm. in order to bring him back. And which is kind of an interesting thing when you think about Jesus, because in the end he does become the ransom. Yes, exactly. You know? And so it's beautiful. Well, I can I can talk to you just a second on like my ponderings. Like, you know, when I've really contemplated the presentation, one of the first things that ever comes to my mind, um, I pray for my children because it's a reminder to give them back to God, not mm-hmm. to give them back, but to realize that is their origin and they are God's and that God loves them so much more than we do. So it's a good human reminder for me to contemplate his law and being mm-hmm. obedient and serving him, but the, the children that he's given us in Thanksgiving, of course, but knowing they are truly his and he loves them more. Right. Yeah. And I love how this is just, this is an act that Joseph and Mary are doing together, you know, mm. and it just shows that holy family oh, yes. that, you're, that you're living out the law of the Lord together. And that's ideal, right? I think sometimes it's, it can just be really hard in families when the, maybe the, the spouses aren't on the same page regarding the faith. And sadly, because that is often the case, you know, one spouse feels like they're often having to go it alone in, in, in doing the things that are obedient to the Lord. But the Holy Family shows us here the ideal. Yes. The ideal is to live out the laws of the Lord together as a family in support of each other, and of growing closer to God together through our obedience to him together. And it does help so much how a family functions if that's the primary thing mm-hmm. that's ordering the decisions in the family. What's God's will? What's his law? How do we live obedient to it? And when you don't have that ordering principle as the foundation of your family structure, it's often going to be difficult 
you're not going to have as much peace in the family. You're not going to have as much unity in the family, you know, and you're not going to experience each other's love as profoundly when you're not rooted in God's law together. So true. And that could even mean just um, someone who's really taken a deep dive in their faith and the other one's kind of lagging behind. But, you know, God allows those things in families, too, for Mm -hmm. personal sanctification for both members. Yeah, and I would definitely challenge the the. The per, if someone's listening where they have that situation in their life, um, sometimes it's tempting for the person who's done the deep dive and is all passionate about it to just super take the reins, go forth, do it all on their own. You know, just be like, you know what, that that one person, you know, my spouse doesn't get it. So I'm just going full, full bore ahead. Look for the opportunities to function in unity. And, you know, maybe... The way out there stuff, maybe that your spouse isn't ready for, but find the places that they are ready for and prioritize them. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, so maybe if it's simple as, you know what, you know, your spouse isn't up for the family rosary or something, but he or she is willing to, you know, just say an Our Father together before bed. Right. Or be the leader of... um, prayer before and after meals. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, find those places of commonality and, and really live yeah. that out. So the next section is where we, we meet Simeon and I, so I have a real devotion to Simeon. Really? And Anna. Yeah. Okay. Ever, ever since, um, when did I start having that devotion? Pretty soon after my conversion. Yeah. And part of it is because I love their example of attentiveness to the Holy Spirit. And fidelity to the Lord. And, yeah. And trusting mm-hmm. that what he, what the spirit has told them will come to pass. Yes. And then when it happens, responding to it with joy. So Simeon, I think is interesting because a lot of times he's often cast as that he was a priest in the temple. And when I read this uh, in preparation for our time together today, Pam, I read it really, really closely. And there is nothing in the text that actually says that. So I don't, you know, that may be a tradition that's grown up, but I kind of wanted to look at it from a little other side because I think sometimes when we sort of clericalize, you know, the, the scripture, like, oh, well that's, you know, he was a priest. He was that his whole life was ordered towards God. So let's think about it as maybe if he wasn't a priest, maybe he's, he's just a guy. Like he's a guy who lives in Jerusalem, who the Holy Spirit has given him a prophetic word. Yes. And he's kind of hanging around. And he's being obedient to that spirit by hanging out at the temple. Right. Well, well, wait a second, though. Okay. I want to read it again. Okay. Okay. So now there was a man in Jerusalem. So he's just, he's in Jerusalem somewhere whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout. So he was ordering his life towards the Lord and whatever he was doing, whether he was a priest, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was a guy who sold stuff in the marketplace. Maybe he was, you know... Construction worker. Who knows what he did? But he was devout and righteousness, awaiting the consolation of Israel. Mm. And so he not only was he righteous and devout, but he desired good things for the people of God. And he knew that Israel was waiting for a Messiah. And he knew that 
God had promised a Messiah and he was longing. He was longing for that Messiah and awaiting that Messiah, you know, just as the, you know, more than the watchman for the daybreak waits, my soul longs for the Lord, Mm -hmm. you know, that song from Psalms, you know, and so this is a man who's, who's a watchman, he's waiting. And then it says the Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had revealed to him, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Messiah of the Lord. Now imagine this guy, he's got, however he experienced that knowledge by the Holy Spirit. And I think sometimes this is something that people who haven't had the experience of really feeling the Holy Spirit is speaking to them have a hard time understanding it because a lot of times people feel like, if it's not some sort of auditory like thing or some vision that, which is way out there right, in their right. minds, like how can you trust that something was really sure. a word from the Holy spirit? But, but for those people who have experienced this and I have experienced it a couple times in my life where the Holy spirit was just like saying, this is for you. This is a <laughs> word for you. You have to live by this word. Mm. And there's a conviction that comes and it gets back to the place of obedience because when you have that experience and you feel completely sure without any reason to feel completely sure, except there's this interior certitude that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you to do anything that goes contrary to what he's spoken to you is disobedience mm-hmm. and you feel it is disobedience. Right. Megan, this sounds like another podcast on the Holy Spirit. Just saying. Yeah, we should do a podcast yeah, yeah, on the okay. Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. So anyway, so he's, you know, he's said, he's, so now can you imagine this guy running around and if he'd shared it with anybody, he's like, yeah, the Messiah is going to be coming in the next, I guess, probably 20, 30 years because I've been told that it is, he's going to come before I die. And the other Jews would be looking at him like, what do you know? Mm-hmm. How do you know? And he's like. I can just imagine him saying, like, I can't tell you necessarily how I know, except that the Holy Spirit has let me know that I will see the coming of the Messiah. I will not die before the Messiah has come. So, like, can you even imagine that maybe he'd be, like, a little not concerned about dying through his life because he's like, well, the Messiah hasn't come and I know I'm not going to die before right. the Messiah comes. So I'm good. You know, like, that cart wasn't going to kill me. <laughs> like, cause I, And so, so then... He's got this confidence, right, that he's not going to die before the Messiah comes. And I wonder how much he talked about it, you know, and if he was really the kind of person that, because it doesn't say if the, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit says, keep this close to your heart. This is a word for you and not for others. Sometimes the Spirit says you need to share this word so that people can prepare. We don't know. Mm -hmm. Maybe he talked about it. Maybe he didn't. But then it says he came in the Spirit into the temple. So he wasn't already there. He wasn't just hanging out in the temple that really? day. In, in scripture, I never noticed that. Yeah. In the scripture, it says the Holy Spirit guided him to go into the temple that day. And so that, I think, is another point where when you feel these nudgings of the Holy Spirit, attend to them. Yes, but discerning 
is it of the Lord or not? Discerning, is another of course. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, that we yeah, for sure. But like, if you just feel like you're being pushed yes, by the Holy Spirit yes, to yes. do something, like mm-hmm. maybe it's as simple as something as like texting someone, texting somebody, or giving them a call, or maybe the Lord's giving you a word to tell somebody, like, and you don't even understand if it's going to make any sense to that person, right? But if you just feel like heavy on your heart. Uh, go tell them Just say, you know what? I don't know if this is going to mean anything to you or I don't know if this, how you're going to receive this or whatever, but I just feel like the Lord's put on my heart to tell you this yes. and just let it be. After that, that's your responsibility, but be obedient yeah, to those Yeah, we need to be brave. Yeah. We don't need not worry about looking like a fool. Exactly. Our obedience should lend itself to fortitude. Mm-hmm. Obedience is a virtue that will open us up to fortitude to live out the call to obedience. So you can trust that the Lord will give you the strength if he, if you truly have an obedient heart. Yeah. Beautiful. So then, you know, with Simeon, we go on and it says, um, so he came in the spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought Jesus in to perform the custom, he saw Jesus and he, he just had his moment. Mm -hmm. He's like, it's here. What I've been waiting for, what the Lord promised me, it has come to pass. And I love how he starts. Now, master, let your servant go in peace. Mm. Which tells me he probably was really old at this point. Like he was like longing for that moment where he would see the Lord so much, not just because of that in itself was beautiful, but because he'd lived a long, fruitful life. Yeah. Very, you know, very likely. But he, but. He's just like, I don't need anything more in life. He's saying, you know, you made me a promise. You came through on that promise. And that promise is to see salvation come to Israel. Mm. There's nothing more that I need. He's saying, you know, you have shown yourself faithful. I am rich enough, (laughs) you know, and it's just beautiful. But then he... He goes on to prophesy, right? Because now that he's been, he's experienced the knowledge that's been given through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is a gift of the Holy Spirit for him to recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. So then he's given the gift of prophecy where he's, you know, he says like, you know, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many and a sign that will be contradicted. And then to Mary and you yourself, O sword will pierce so that the thoughts of many will be revealed. And so as much joy as there is in this circumstance, the Lord also speaks through him to say, it will not be easy. Right. For sure. I think he reveals that too when he says, you can, you can just almost hear the relief in his voice when he says, ah, my eyes have seen, Mm -hmm. you know, you can hear his relief and the beauty of it all. Yeah. And he says, you know, you're, this is going to be a revelation to the Gentiles and it's going to be the glory of Israel, mm-hmm. but it's also going to be the rise and fall of many. And it's also going to be a contradiction. And that place of what it is to live as a Christian exists, right? There's the joy and the glory of knowing that God has it all in hand and that he has won the victory. And in the end, it's his kingdom that will reign forever, but there will still be trials and there will still be tribulations and there will still be contradictions. 
And it was as true for the life of Mary and Joseph and Jesus as it is the true for the life of Christians now. Exactly. You know, before we move on um, from this, I, st- I have a question about something else it says in here. And I really want to hear your opinion on it. It said, you know, obviously to Mary that a sword will pierce your heart. We kind of all know probably that was the foretelling of Christ's passion. But then it says, so that the thoughts, thoughts of many will be revealed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? I mean, what do you think that means? So the thoughts may be revealed? Like it, we knew that the passion was coming, obviously, because we're retrospective for her. And that's what the piercing of the heart. But this, so the thoughts of many will be revealed. Yeah. Well, know. I think in a lot of ways, if you're thinking about the passion itself, the passion of Jesus Christ, that in itself does reveal a lot within the, the Jewish people. Can you live with a Messiah that doesn't look with what you, like what you expected? Can you accept a crucified Messiah or are you going to insist that it has to look the way you want it to look Mm. as this conquering, you know, uh, temporal King Mm. that leads to, you know, the liberation of a, of a people politically, or are you going to accept the, the Lord's plan and what that looks like? So I could, I could see it at that time and place about how it would reveal the hearts of many. Are you really obedient to what God has planned or you want your own way? But then I also look at it also that Mary herself then also becomes a place of contradiction and revealing of hearts and minds because so often in the debate that you find after like the reformation, which I put in air quotes because I think of it, it's really more of a schism really than a reformation. Um, Mary becomes a real sticking point, right? And and is in place between, uh, between, you know, Catholics slash Orthodox and Protestants of where does Mary belong and what, what sort of honor is she due? And does she really have a big important role in salvation or is she just a surrogate who we, you know, cast to the side after, you know, Christ is born. And so that becomes this place of contradiction too, Mm. that still is alive today. And I was actually just discussing the topic of Mary with one of my dear friends the other day. And it really, really profoundly impacted me that, the rejection of the importance of Mary is a rejection of femininity Mm. because basically to say that Mary isn't important, significantly important in our salvation and our relationship to God basically says mothers don't matter. Mm. That all you need is the father and the son and the Holy spirit. And you don't need a mother as part of, of that experience of God and salvation. And I think that Mary becomes a place of God saying, I recognize you need a mother. I have created the human heart to desire maternal love. And I know that just as you needed to see an incarnate version of God in Christ, my son, 
I also know that you need to see a maternal love that's incarnate, now not to the level of divinity, certainly, but accessible to us spiritually. Right. Well, and what comes to mind as you're saying that, too, is that Christianity is, in fact, the only religion that does elevate women to equal status among men, which I think that was one of God's plans through the use of the Virgin Mary. And in the uh, Reformation or the schism, they're trying to kind of push that down a little bit and squelch that truth. Yeah. So, and then I think that's a beautiful segue to just, because we're kind of getting long on this one, but it's so beautiful. So I don't care. (laughs) So um, that gets us then to the next step of this, where we can talk about the prophetess Anna, because in this scene, it's like the Lord didn't just want to have one witness we're going to get a second witness. So we get the man, Simeon, and then the, the woman, Anna, who also acknowledges who Christ is. And so we read about her. She is a prophetess. So she's acknowledged in the Bible as being a woman who has received, you know, knowledge of God spiritually as a prophet. Mm-hmm. And so and she did hang around the temple all the time. Basically, it says she was she never left the temple. She was always in the temple. And and I think this is a beautiful example of how fruitful the life of a person can be in their widowhood. Mm. So you know you your role in the church is going to change after you are a widow or widower, but it's no less important that you have an active role as, as a Christian and, and you know, just like really embrace that role. And, and, you know, when you are without a spouse, there's a, there's a certain freedom that then grows in your time and your ability to tend to other things. And so instead of kind of like being like, what am I going to do now? I don't have a spouse. No, have your grieving process. Certainly allow yourself to, to process the pain of loss but then also seek God and the plans that he has for you in this, that new stage in your life, because there's great and wonderful things that he can do in and through even your widowhood. Right. right? And Anna is a beautiful example of that. So she acknowledges who he is. And then she, and I think it's beautiful that she said after seeing him and noticing who he is, she spoke about the child to all who were awaiting the redemption of of Jerusalem. So she recognizes who he is and she's like, I am going out to spread the good news. The Messiah has come and I don't care who thinks I'm crazy. Just some old lady, some, some buddy who just kind of wanders around the temple all the time. No, I'm getting out there and I'm going to share the good news. So there's this joy that can't be contained in both of them to acknowledge that the Messiah has come. And I can only imagine that for Joseph and Mary, again, this is yet another confirmation Mm -hmm. that the Lord gives them. Yes, this is happening. This is really what, you know, I am fulfilling this. Other people are going to acknowledge it's being fulfilled. You're not going to be alone here. This is happening. Right, right. And before we move on for this one, I know it's such a rich one. I have to to say and ask you this. Was it not the presentation that later was um, substituted for or changed to baptism? Like when you think about that's a big sticking point between Protestants and Catholics mm-hmm. that 
um, infant baptism. Right. And it's caught, brought to my attention that the presentation was like a little bit of a precursor to infant baptism. What do you know about that and the sacrament? Um, well, I would actually say that probably baptism is more akin to circumcision. Which, okay. which well, doesn't that happen in presentation? No, this is the if you actually look in the Bible, the circumcision happens right before they talk about the the presentation. It's, really, it's, it's, it's I always thought it was together. Yeah, it's literally the verse right before. Um, mm. So the, I think proximally they do take place around the same time, um, but they they are separate events in the Bible. Okay. So, but yeah, circumcision certainly being that time where you through that action become claimed as a child of Israel through the action of baptism, you become claimed as a child of God. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think definitely, but I think they can, you know, kind of, if you kind of meld them together, yes, there is some sense that in the Jewish faith that you, there are actions that you will take with the life of, with a child to present them to the Lord to dedicate them to the Lord and to do something that that God then claims that child as part of the body. Right. Which sounds like baptism. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but the last thing I do want to talk about as it relates to this is um, the concept of prophecy. Mm. And I know that in these days and times where things seem rather extraordinary about things that are going on in the world and, and a lot of things that you know, have been discussed biblically as prophetic regarding end times, you know, uh, the Messiah coming again. Right. So in this one, they're waiting for the Messiah to come the first time, but as Christians, we're all waiting for the Messiah Christ to come again. Right. So as we're starting to see things come to pass that, you know, make us feel like, wow, this is kind of sounds like what they was talking about. And, you know, when, you know, Christ would talk about what would happen in the end times or when we read Revelation and we hear things that are reminiscent, we need to, with discernment, be attentive to the voice of people who are saying they're getting prophetic words. And that is happening. And it's important to Listen, because, you know, you have these two examples, Simeon and Anna, they'd been given a word that they were going to see the Messiah. They trusted that it was going to come to pass and it did. Right. And so I just, you know, want to leave this with, you know, first Thessalonians five twenty and 21, where it says, despise not prophecy, but test all things and hold fast to what is good. So. It, sometimes it's tempting for us to just think that somebody who says, I've had a word from the Lord is a crackpot or just somebody who wants to bring attention to themselves or whatever. But we would be remiss to simply dismiss anybody who says that they've experienced a word from the Lord without giving it a listen, looking at their life, seeing if they live a, a fruitful, holy life like Simeon did, a devout, righteous life. And if you have, if you know somebody or you've read of somebody who clearly exhibits that they've lived a devout and righteous life and they're saying, I've had a word from the Lord, attend to it because Jesus himself looks at the history of the Israelites and said, you didn't listen to the prophets. Mm-hmm. Let us listen to the prophets of our day. 
with faith, with discernment, but not contempt and not right. dismissal. Because there may be words that the Lord is trying to shout from his prophets for us to heed. And if we miss them, then we may not be properly prepared to receive him when he comes again, the way Simeon and Anna were. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, we thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, we hope that you'll tune in next time as we complete the joyful mysteries with finding Jesus in the temple. So until next time, God bless. God bless.